Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert! They're off and running again. So smooth, so sweet, splendid, succinct, just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort, 4,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see those beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet. Nobody picks him up. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Wonder Gold, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. My name is Michael Leboff. Joining me, as always, will be my friends, co-hosts, my colleagues, my betting spirit animals, BJ Cunningham and Anthony DeBundo. And together, the three of us will handicap the entire Premier League slate. We'll talk about the EFL Cup final. We'll take a little stroll around Europe, do a little Bundesliga, La Liga, Ligue 1, Serie A, and then give out our three-leg money line underdog parlay which came painfully painfully close to hitting last week and then talk about our favorite bets in the premier league uh, for this upcoming weekend and then at the end of all that you will hear bj and anthony talk to former u.s men's national team player eric winalda about a whole host of issues uh, including mls the tv deal that they did with apple tv and as always we we enjoy our chat with eric um each week and are happy to have him on board at wonder goal but before we get to all that a reminder that wonder goal is presented to you by bet365 the world's favorite sports book brand sign up with promo code action to get bet365's exclusive sign up offer in new jersey and colorado and ohio bet one dollar on any game and get 200 free no questions asked all right gentlemen uh, let's just get right to it we'll start with the efl cup we'll start with manchester united and Newcastle, it's at Wembley. Newcastle hasn't won a major trophy since 1955. They will be without their goalkeeper Nick Pope, and they will be without second choice goal. Their second choice goalkeeper too. Uh, they will be playing Loris Carius, right? Yeah. Uh, in at Wembley against United, uh, the Red Devils are plus 120. Newcastle plus 240. The draw is plus 230. I think this is pretty simple. The numbers all kind of paint these two teams in a similar light and yet on a neutral venue you're getting double the price on newcastle is it because their goalkeepers out i hope that's not the reason why i know united's in great form but they are also playing their fourth match in what 13 days 12 days when this was played so i think it's newcastle here plus 240 i think it's a good bet bj what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the market has completely fallen in love with Manchester United, given the form they've obviously been in. We're now sitting, what, a plus 110 over Newcastle? I mean, even if you started, Michael, the season on October 5th, after United just got completely pasted by City, and you take away all those horrible results at the beginning of the season, and I give you all these great results the United's had under Ten Hag, they're the best team in the world, he's got them cooking and everything like that. United's been a plus 8 Point four or plus 0.84, excuse me, expected goal differential per 90 minutes. Newcastle over that exact same time span has been plus 0.75. So essentially United's just been a hair better than Newcastle. And yeah, I get it. Nick Pope's not going to be in net and that's obviously hurts Newcastle. But 
granted, you know, it was five years ago, but when Karius was a regular starter for Liverpool, you know, he played around 1990s for Liverpool in the Premier League. He was only a minus 0.7 post-shot XG plus minus keeper. Like he wasn't horrible. I Obviously everybody sees the huge mistake he made in the Champions League final and just paints them as this terrible keeper. He's not really that. So I don't think, I mean, it's obviously a loss, but it's not like it's a catastrophic loss that should drop the line 30 to 40 cents. Plus, Newcastle, as of late, has been without Bruno Guimaraes for the past three matches, obviously due to his, his red card suspension in the EFL Cup semifinals. He is vitally important to their team, maybe the most important player on their entire team, given what he means for them, defending in transition and also starting the build-up play from the back line. And the last time these two teams played, it was a complete stalemate. It was a 0-0 draw at Old Trafford. Expected goals were exactly even. New- Newcastle let United tilt the field on them about 70%. Um, but what Newcastle did a great job of is they stifled United in build-up play. United only had a 79% build-up completion percentage. Newcastle forced five high turnovers and caused a lot of problems. And like we say every single week, that's how Newcastle plays best. When they can sit back, they can set up their pressing traps, they can press high, and they can cause problems. And listen, United was awesome against Leicester. Like they had the best offensive performance of anybody this Premier League season so far. I mean, they created 4.1 expected goals. They had 19 deep completions, 24 10 plus pass sequences. They're not going to be able to build out of the back like they were able to do against Leicester. Also, what we've seen from Manchester United, and I think this is kind of an interesting dilemma that they have to figure out what they're going to do is that when they play bigger sides like City, like Arsenal, they tend to sit, or even Barcelona, they tend to sit very deep and look to counter and be very direct. Are they going to really do that against Newcastle? Or are they going to be the ones that's controlling a lot of possession and then trying to defend in transition? Obviously, they've been better with Casemiro back in the lineup. But yeah, this is a complete market overreaction. This is United's seventh match in 19 days. They have a huge match against Barcelona on Thursday. So, and again, like Anthony mentioned last week, Ten Hag has not rotated anybody. So we are just coming with the same exact team over and over with all this match buildup. While Newcastle's had a full week of rest, this is a tremendous spot for Newcastle. So I like them plus half a goal and minus 130 to at least get this extra time. And I do not hate the uh, play on them to lift the trophy either. I mean, if you've been following me or if you listen to this, you know uh, that I think both of these attacks have been just like running like gods for the better part of the last half of the season. Now, Newcastle has cooled off quite a bit. I think you're starting to see that the market react to that with this number steaming a little bit toward United in addition to the goalie. Newcastle has struggled for goals in the last month. Uh, we've seen, uh, I think, you know, some signs of like, you know, can they play from behind effectively? That's been tested. They didn't do great uh, at it. You know, getting separation from teams like West Ham and Bournemouth has been difficult. Held to a draw against Palace, scored late against Fulham. Like there has been some regression, but the defense continues to be what I pretty solid in my view. Uh, and they got opened up by Liverpool a couple times in transition. But overall, I thought, like, I think their defense has been mostly fine. And I, I do worry a little bit about United defensively because they've conceded at least one expected goal in five straight matches, uh, excluding the Leeds match where they conceded in the first minute and were losing pretty much the whole way. So I'm a little worried about the United defense, but they will have Casemiro back for this match, which I think helps. And you mentioned it with Guimaraes too. Essentially, like, the two best metronomic ball-winning players for each team will be back. And I think what that ultimately does from a tactical point of view is it enables both teams to slow this game down, to keep the other out of transition where they are at their best. And if this game becomes a bit of like a like a half-court 
in a way, like if you think of it in a basketball way, uh, I actually think that that favors the under here. I think both attacks, like Newcastle's we know is a little bit of a paper tiger, just looking at the talent. You can be like, okay, this team isn't really like a top four attack in the league. But United, I mean, look, Marcus Rashford scores a goal every single game. But you look around at like the rest of the team and they're just like, Beghurst is not really getting many shots. Uh, Sancho has been okay with ball progression, but even his shot numbers have not really returned except for that one half against Leeds. So I think, uh, you know, both of these attacks come in a little inflated still two and a half minus minus one twenty to the under, uh, I'm betting that and have bet it. Uh, and I, I think this will be a low scoring affair with, uh, hopefully no carious errors, but you know, Rashford <laughs> continues to own me. I had the under three Sunday, probably my luckiest push of the year. Yeah. Uh, carious in a cup final. Hilarious. Gotta back him. Gotta, Gotta back, back him. him. I feel like he's gonna stand. I feel like he's making a big save. I mean, yeah, I, I wish they were literally uh, dropped. They were. I mean, United was plus one forty, and then Newcastle got beat by Liverpool, and then Nick Pope got the red card. And I checked it afterwards, and obviously United put up United as, put up a thousand yeah. expected goals against Leicester, and now it's plus one ten. I'm like, Carius is not the difference between Carius Pope is not thirty cents. That's drastic. That's insane. So yeah, Newcastle. Yeah, I, you know, I just also don't think United like they played right through Leicester. Like they weren't really there once they kind of came back from that like rough start. But you're just like not going to get a Mendy Dewsbury Hall midfield in this match. Like United, uh, Newcastle just has so much more ball winning. Like they have actual midfielders, so I just think it's going to be much more difficult. Whereas this Leicester team, man, awful. Let's talk about the Premier League now. Uh, we'll start. We'll stay on Sunday. So the Newcastle United EFL Cup uh, is 11:30 at Wembley, Sunday morning, 8:30 a.m. Eastern Time, 9:30. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, 9.30 a.m. Iowa time for BJ. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur yep. are plus 155, taking on Graham Potter's Chelsea, plus 190. Uh, the draw here is plus 225. These odds, of course, brought to you by our friends at Bet365. Chelsea coming off of another loss. Uh, you know, Somebody on this podcast said a, a bet on Chelsea, alternate team total over. Go find whatever price you want. Uh, in a, in a get-rate spot against Southampton was a good bet. They scored zero. Uh, Spurs, they've won three or four. Uh, maybe they're back. They're in the top Best four in the world. I, I I'm, I, I don't want to trust Chelsea at, at a number like this. I'm sorry, Anthony. Uh, how, how on earth are you backing this team at, at this price? Well, I just don't like, I think the underlying numbers are taking a step forward for Chelsea. Look, I know they lost to Southampton. It was, it was not a great performance overall. Uh, and I think that the body language is bad. Like if you want to be body language guy, like they just like don't look like they're like feeling inspired, but I think that's like a, that feels like a, I don't even know the term that I'm trying to use here, but basically like a self-fulfilling prophecy is the, is the word I'm looking for. And I think that's what's kind of happening with Chelsea. They just need to see the ball go in the back of the net because this team has run so bad. And I know it's like a Potter special. He's even changed up tactics, uh, tried to get them playing a certain way. It wasn't really working. So now they've switched it up and, and it is working. They're getting really good chances and they're just not finishing any of them. 1.5 XG against the saints. No goals. Two over two against Dortmund. Rattled the crossbar. No goals. Uh, 1.2 against West Ham. They finally got a goal. Had two more ruled out for offside. Like, just can't catch a break. Uh, against Fulham. BJ still mad about that match. Uh, over one and a half expected goals. Against Liverpool. Dominating on set pieces. Over one and a half expected goals. No goals. So they've scored one goal in the last five matches in all competitions from like nine and a half expected. I mean, it's just insane. And... If you look at Tottenham, like, yeah, they 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 had a pretty solid home performance against West Ham, who uh, gave no real 
I mean, it was just one of the worst halves I've ever seen from both teams in the in the first half of Spurs West Ham, and then Spurs, you know, found a couple of moments to win the match in the second half. But I didn't come away overly impressed with Tottenham's performance. It wasn't a Tottenham is you know playing right through West Ham with ease. It wasn't a Tottenham is overwhelming them with shot after shot after shot. Like it wasn't anything where I felt like I needed to truly upgrade Tottenham. I gave him a, a you know a little bump just for the XG final, like how it works, my like how I update stuff, but. Like overall, I, th- I thought it was still pretty uninspiring. And th- they're still going to, you know, be dealing with these midfield issues, I think, for the rest of the season. Even though Hoiberg is back, uh, you know, they decide to sit Sun. He comes off the bench. Interesting decision. Got nothing from Richarlison in the first half. So, you know, he's playing. He, uh, Stellini, Stellini played Ben Davis as a, as a wing back. So he's essentially playing like five defensive players plus Hoiberg, like a very conservative lineup. And I just think that uh, this Chelsea team is playing better than Tottenham right now, despite what the results say. I mean, we just watched both these teams play in the Champions League on the road. Chelsea put up over two expected goals against a decent Dortmund team. Spurs could barely get a shot against Milan. Uh, I I just don't really think uh, that the results are matching the process for either of these teams right now. And I'm going to back Chelsea, uh, draw no bet. I think uh, it's one of my favorite spots of the year. I know it's at Spurs, but... Uh, I'm going to bet against Tottenham for the second straight week, and hopefully it goes better this week than it did last week for me. Uh, somehow Spurs have won three of five. I they, I got to beat Fulham. So, yeah, you know, we're back for now. Not really. I mean, we lost the XG to to Fulham. Played poorly against Milan. So, like, it hasn't been particularly good for Spurs. I'm still out. You were still out on Spurs. Man, you were so in on Liverpool. And then Carlo Ancelotti. I was uh, waiting for that one. Showed you who's boss. Oh, I'll, I'll still bring in. it back up in a little bit. Um, BJ, what are, you, what are you thinking here? Spurs and Chelsea. Yeah, I, I, I feel very similarly about this match, how I did about when Chelsea went to go face West Ham. Not, I'm not running the window to bet Spurs, but the spot to bet Chelsea in a lot of this offensive regression is not against one of the best low blocks, one of the best teams at defending their own penalty or against a bunch of wingers playing striker positions who can't finish. So... This is not the spot for me. I actually do have some projected value on Tottenham right now just because of the overall season arching metrics. And because they're um, awesome. And Tottenham has been awesome. So I'm not, <laughs> but again, I'm not going to bet Tottenham. There's just, there's no yeah. way I want to do that. So uh, this is easiest pass on the board. Andy. How about really? Friday then? Let's, what about? Oh, no, no. There's, oh, some, there's some other easy there's so many. About, this is oh, a terrible No, no let's get to Friday. No, I got some uh, thoughts about this. this I like this. <laughs> this game. I actually kind of like this game. Friday. It's, gonna, it's a fun Friday, Friday night lights. This Friday is the worst lights. match of the season. Fulham should play every Friday so that BJ has to watch them for two hours every week and he has to bet against them and lose every week and just I hate, torture chamber, I hate get the loss out of the way, and then you can have a great weekend. No, because I'm just going to be mad the whole weekend. <laughs> Oh no! You you can flush it, and you'll wake up on Saturday. You'll feel fine. You don't know me. <laughs> you spent oh, you... five minutes pre-show, uh, just ranting I did. about the Brighton Fulham game. I did. That was one of the. That was that. That was a beautiful Brighton game. If if you, if there ever was a Brighton game, uh, yeah, that was it. No, uh, Fulham's Golden plus Wolves team total over seven and a half. Yeah, I think. But I, I, you know, you you, you say it a little tongue in cheek, but. So Fulham's plus one thirty-seven at home. Wolves plus two ten. The draws plus two thirty. Let's just look at these numbers for both these teams. Uh, Fulham has been by their win-loss record one of the best teams since the World Cup break. There's six wins, oh, one matters. one draw, two losses. Uh, a plus seven goal differential. Only four goals allowed. 
Only four goals allowed in nine matches. Uh, 13 expected goals allowed mm-hmm. since the break. Mm-hmm. Wolves, meanwhile, uh, they've also been solid when loss, except for, you know, we were all over that boring miss spot against Wolves last mm-hmm. week. We were right about that. Uh, Wolves, though that was only their third loss in uh, their last eight matches since the break. Four wins and a draw to go along with it. And they do have a, a plus one goal differential in that span. Their expected goals differential is minus 4.4, though. And they've only created 8.1 expected goals against. So a very stoppable force versus a very movable object at Craven Cottage. And I think this game has chaos written on it. Here's what I'm going to say. I I don't hate, this is going to sound extremely strange, but I don't hate a look at a nil-nil draw. <laughs> but I also don't hate like an alternate total of five and a half. Because I think that the range of outcomes in this game are so all over the place. I you could agree. see you could see Wolves just, you know, play a snoozer and go in there with the sole intention of getting a point. You could see Fulham's defensive regression come. You could see Wolves negative regression come. Like this 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 game to me is incredibly hard to kind of script out. And I think that's why betting the extreme outcomes whether it's a nil-nil or like a 4-3 win for Fulham or something like crazy like that is the way to go. Uh, Anthony, what do you think? Yeah, I think you, for all the reasons you mentioned, it's why it's uh, one of the easier passes on the board, as we like to say. I just like Fulham has been slightly better than Wolves. They're better in my numbers. They're at home. So like I want to fade Fulham too, but like the number sucks. Yep. Uh, if they were like, if they were like minus 110, like, yeah, give me Wolves plus a half on the road. Fine. But uh it's just kind of crazy. I mean, when these two teams played earlier in the year, uh, Wolves was a was a favorite, and it ended in a nil-nil draw, and I think Mitrovic missed a penalty. It was like a very even dead game. I could very well see that playing out again. I think that's, for me, that's more likely um, than the crazy, like, back and forth, naturally, because it's Wolves. But I, I just think that, like, of all the matchups where I want to look to fade Fulham, and then, like, we can pull up the schedule. Oh, I know the spot. Yeah, next, they have they have leads in the cup. On, they have leads in the cup next week, Ugh. and I'll be on leads, uh, probably. And then they go to Brentford, which BJ that's, will have his mortgage. Yeah, the, and his, I have his second his and his kids yep. his newborn uh, son's college fund. Yep, on on yep. Brentford money line. So, uh, yeah, always, this is not this is not a, bet, bet bet responsibly, of course. Yes, of course. Um, I would not do that, but. I think I'm not uh, going to do that for everybody out there. Just so everybody knows it's tongue in cheek. I always gamble responsibly. Uh, but yeah, I'll be passing here. Okay. So you two pass. I think uh, something weird uh, at Craven Cottage is worth a look. I just don't like this team. They're just, they, they make me so I mean, there's a lot of teams you don't like. We we can go down the list at the end of the year. We'll just make a list of all the teams you don't like and, and the teams you like. And there's going to be one team on the list that you do like. That's Everton. They're plus 150 True. hosting Aston Villa, plus 200. The draw True. here is plus 220. And their two wins under Sean Dyke. Dyche, they've held their opponents. Arsenal and Leeds, the best team in the Premier League, this side of Manchester City and Arsenal. And then uh, a good offensive team in Leeds to total of 1.3 expected goals. Didn't take long for Sean Dyche to come in here and, and sink his teeth into this team. Uh, Everton looked really, I thought, really good against Leeds. I thought they looked really good against Arsenal. Not so much against Liverpool on the road. Uh, they're taking on Aston Villa, who were coming into this one, licking their wounds a bit, three losses in a row. It, it, 
tough slate with City and Arsenal, but they give, gave up in those three losses, nine expected goals against. They should have, they could make the argument that they were both outplayed and unlucky against Arsenal, considering how things transpired there uh, with Emmy Martinez getting a little bit of karmic retribution. Uh, it's wonderful. Heading the ball into his own net. Um, I think Everton's a good bet, honestly, even as a home favorite here. Um, I think Deitch is has the team playing in the right direction. Maybe the market's starting to catch up to their improvement. You got to hope that Dominic Calvert-Lewin is back in the lineup at some point, but I thought Neil Mopai actually was pretty good uh, in that role, playing uh, in the channels for Everton against Leeds, and they just, this game obviously at Goodison Park should be a cauldron. Not all that much for Villa to play for. They'll probably be one of the first teams on the beach this season. Um, Not there yet. But I think there's enough here pointing to Everton that they're worth a gander at plus 150. Uh, Anthony, finally, is this your first bet on Everton all season? No, no. I had them against Arsenal. There you go. Second bet. Uh, I'd have to look at this calendar to see if there was a third bet on Everton. But yes, I have Everton at home here. Uh, when I, Once I apply like a little bit, of, I have to like rig the numbers a little bit. But I can make Everton up to like plus 125 here at home. I actually don't think that... Uh, if you look at recent form, that these two teams have really been that different. Uh, BJ mentioned this last week, and I kind of poo-pooed it, and I think he had, you know, he made a decent point. Like Aston Villa has not been better under Unai Emery than they were under future PSG manager Steven Gerrard. It's true, uh, and and they have not gotten better defensively, and the attack continues to kind of have the same exact problems that it had under. Gerard. I mean, they had a couple extra like finishes from Watkins and various other characters, but like they still have very similar issues in uh, in getting the ball into the penalty area once they are able to kind of have their nice little passes back and forth uh, outside of the penalty area. They're still, you know, like 13th in big scoring chances and 13th in box entries. Like this is not a very good attacking team going on the road against a much improved defense. You can make the you can make a convincing case that uh, Everton has the better defense since Dice should come in, and that the attacks are pretty comparable in terms of talent, and they're at home. And I'm only laying minus one twenty two on the Drano bet line, so yeah, I like the Toffees. I think uh, I'm, I'm going to be joining you. Actually, I am. I bet it already. Uh, BJ, you thinking a little bit of chaos here? Yeah. You know, Sean Deitch versus Unai Emery doesn't typically scream <laughs> just like a high scoring fair, but hopefully I can explain this in a way where it'll actually make a little bit of sense. And if it doesn't, right ahead. who cares? Uh, so last five matches, Aston Villa has con- conceded 11.2 expectables. And I'm not even counting the Gabriel Martinelli tap-in at the end of the game. That's how bad it's been for Aston Villa the last five matches. And the issues that have existed with Aston Villa during this time span, I think why their defense has been so bad is... Unai Emery plays a style like he did at Villarreal where he wants to play out of the back. Like he wants to build out of the back. He doesn't want to go long. And Aston Villa, the team they have set up is the Steven Gerrard team that wants to play very, very direct. So what you're seeing like matches against Leicester, like the match against Arsenal as well, where they are just turning the ball over in their own area. Guys like John McGinn and Jacob Ramsey are not your prototypical, hey, let's drop this guy into the back line and let's build out through him. They're more defensive type midfielders who are not really that great with the ball at their feet. I mean, you saw three of Lester's four goals when they played them 
we're off of high turnovers. And and listen, here's the thing about Sean Deitch, Michael. Don't think that Sean Deitch is going to just completely just sit deep and just let Aston Villa have the ball and build out with any resistance because the last three matches, although it doesn't seem like much, their passes per defensive action has been 14. If you take away the match against Arsenal, they've been under a, they've been under 12 against both Liverpool. Uh, and against Leeds, and they did have over the three matches under Deitch, they have forced 23 high turnovers. And even you saw it against Arsenal, like Deitch was trying to push them up the pitch to press so they could stop Arsenal's buildup play. If the same thing happens, they're going to be able to force those turnovers against Aston Villa and create that type of chaos. But here's my other thing about Everton. Just because Sean Deitch is here doesn't mean that all of that negative aggression their defense is due for is just completely out the window. Like it's still the same players still playing a four, four, two type system as I mean, Everton has conceded 30 goals off a of 37.1 expected under Sean Dyche. It's been two goals off a of 3.4 expected. So I do think there is some negative aggression still coming for Everton. I don't think that Sean Dyche just immediately wipes all that away. And then we go back to the flip side again, Aston Villa's con- Aston Villa has conceded 12 goals off a of set pieces this season. So there are things working against this Aston Villa defense, like clockwork against Everton. So I do like a bet on Everton, but at the same time, Aston Villa's offense under Unai Emery has been pretty good. They're averaging around 1.35 expecting goals per 90 minutes. So with Everton's negative regression uh, on defense, I actually do like a look at the over, over two and a half at plus 125. I project 2.5 goals right on for this match. So if you're giving me over two and a half at plus 125, I'm going to take it over with Sean Dyche and Unai Emery. Beautiful. Beautifully put. Um, I, I I wonder if, if you know, the, the, the reputation that Dyche has had with Burnley was what you said off the top, which is sit deep, hang on, try to scratch out a draw or, you know, make he, a lucky he win. But, like the, front, the front two strikers press quite a bit. Yeah. And as you've seen, like Idrissa Ganagay and Onana, he pushes them up the pitch. Like he doesn't well, just sit back. Yeah, and the point, the point I was going to make is th- these are the most talented players he's probably ever had. Right, like yeah. he can do more with them. Yep. Then he could, especially with somebody like Onana in the midfield. Oh, we love him. Yep. And, and, we love and him. I agree, though. Like it wasn't like Arsenal were able to just walk into the final third, get the ball to Saka, and then kind of roll from there. It was a lot of making the build up uncomfortable, preventing the ball from getting to the wings. Like it was a different kind of approach. And and the thing about Everton, and this is a Dice thing, like. Dice always beat his XG at Burnley. They always had numbers in front of the ball. They always blocked a lot of shots. Uh, so I, I will be interested to see, and like obviously some of the most of the XG from the pre Dice era was Pickford plus some bad finishing from opponents. Uh, but I will be interested to see like if that changes and how that impacts uh, going forward, knowing what we know about what Dice typically tended to do at Burnley. The team Everton uh, beat over the weekend was Leeds. They are even money favorites at home, hosting Southampton plus two eighty. The draw is uh, plus two fifty. This is the caretaker manager bowl. Ruben Salas and the conglomerate that's overseeing Leeds. Let's take a look at the uh, standings real quick for the for the race for relegation. Southampton's still at the foot of the table, propping it up at 18 points. Leeds 19, West Ham 20. Those are your three teams currently in the drop zone. Bournemouth just ahead at 21, as is Everton. Wolves 23, Leicester 24, Forest 25. Crystal Palace is 26. Um, Southampton is still uh, the uh, Southampton and Bournemouth are still the favorites to go down. Leeds is kind of flopped places with that flip flop places with Everton as the, the third team expected to go down. Um, 
This is a weird one. I'm going to pass here. I will say one thing. I think for the most cases, like, I wouldn't look too much into, uh, you know, we expect a new manager bounce a lot of times and, and it it holds true or whatever. But in this case, like, I think it kind of would ding both teams. This is a huge game, obviously. Relegation six-pointer to not have, you know, an experienced manager in charge to kind of set teams, set the team up to, to, play one out play a six-pointer out so it's a little strange um i don't think Leeds should be this short but the price on southampton still isn't isn't all that good so it's a it's a pass for me here anthony any thoughts here Leeds united and southampton do we know if if garcia is going to manage this match I know as, they, of, they... as of 12 hours ago he still needs to get his work permit yeah. so i have no idea yeah i i so we don't know i mean no matter what like he's going to like show up on Friday and manage on Saturday. Like there's no like training that he can really, there's no change. You know? Right. The crowd might go wild as he comes onto the pitch type thing, but uh, I'll be interested to see what we get from, uh, from Javi Garcia. But yeah, you can, you could sell me on an over here. And these are two teams that have probably been the, you know, Leeds, Southampton, West Ham are the three, like you look at the board and you're like, okay, how these teams have played much better than their results. Uh, and most of Leeds' problems have been finishing and not taking their chances. Uh, Southampton is still kind of playing similarly to the point where they will uh, try to disrupt possession press, and we could get a bunch of high turnovers in this match, and it wouldn't shock me if you're getting a lot of like back and forth. But then again, on the other hand, like it is a relegation six-pointer, and like not losing is more important than than kind of winning here and you know not letting your opponent get the three points. So my projections are actually pretty close to the number. I, I like a tiny bit on the over. Um, and I, like, I could see the case for it, but this is probably going to be a pass for me as well. Uh, Leicester city BJ are plus three seventy five. They are host hosting Arsenal minus one thirty. I want 43, the draw three to one. I've got nothing. So I'll flip it over to you. I like Arsenal. I think the price is too short on them. Quite honestly. Uh, just like it, it, this is literally, I mean, I know Arsenal closed in a much shorter number, but Arsenal was minus 135 on the road against Aston Villa in a horrible spot. And now they're essentially the exact same price on the money line. And Arsenal, I know it was very back and forth, but they pummeled Aston Villa. Like the final scoreline won't say that, obviously, but they controlled 67% possession. They outshot Villa 20 to 7. They outtouched them in the penalty box 40, 40, 44 to 10 on the road. Lester, that was one of the worst perform. I mean, we've had seen some bad performances in Lester this season. That was the worst one they've had all season long against Manchester United on Sunday. They conceded 4.1 expected goals, four big scoring chances, and 19 of Manchester United's shot of 25 shots came inside the penalty area. So after that dismal performance, Lester is takes the crown. They are the new dead last in non-penalty expected goals per match in the Premier League, 1.64 per night per per 90. And they have been overperforming offensively as of late. Last four matches, they've scored 10 goals off of 6.4 expected. Pretty much all of them came in that four goals against Tottenham off of what, 1.4 or 1.5 expected. And the thing about Leicester is, listen, they're they're a very good team at controlling possession. Guys like Tielemans and Madison are very good at progressing the ball off the pitch. But they aren't very good, and you saw it against United, they aren't very good when they have to sit into a low block and defend for a majority of the match, which... You know, they're out of possession. They are playing a 4-4-2. They will try and press you high, 
which is a dangerous game to play against Arsenal, given how good they are at playing through pressure. Cause Leicester is a very average pressing team. They're 10th and pass per defensive action and offensively for Leicester, the problems that exist for them really come in the final third. They're very good at getting the ball into the final third, but once they're there, they don't have a clinical finisher that's able to get on the end of that or even create a good quality chance. They're eighth and final third entries, but 17th and final third box entry conversion rate. And that's why you see Leicester is leading the Premier League with 10 goals from outside the box. And Leicester is also uh, second to last in the Premier League in XG per set piece, which is bad news because that is where Arsenal is weakest on defense. And Leicester can be dangerous in transition, but it looks like Thomas Partey is going to be back for this match which is good news for Arsenal. So they'll be able to defend much better in transition against Leicester. Um, and as for the Leicester defense, they were obviously bad against United. They're one of the worst set piece defenses in the premier league, which is bad news again against Arsenal. Who's number one in XG per set piece. And the last time these two teams faced off, it was August. Uh, granted it's been a long time, but Arsenal destroyed Leicester. I mean, it was a four, two, I mean, it really wasn't that close. They created 2.5 expected goals. They tilted the field at 74%, 15 shots inside the penalty area. So, I think this price is way too low on Arsenal. I've then projected at minus 166. So I like the value on them at minus 135. West Ham. Yeah, it's, a, it's a little too, uh, real quick. Uh, anybody want to guess who is first in the Prem in non penalty XG plus expected assists per 90 this season? Oh, Nana. No. <laughs> uh, I'll go. Oh, Bruno Fernandes. Darwin Nunez. Yeah, his XG per 90 is insane. And By he's the way, got some decent assists. Yep. Now, this is he's the setup. You want to guess who number two is? Is it James Madison? You'll never get it, but he plays in this match. He will play on Saturday. Kalechi Iannaccio. Yeah, oh. well, I mean, he's always he's always got the great underlying metrics. He's, he's a good. darling. Yeah, he's and, a great player. Since he's come into the team, Leicester's been better attacking-wise. Their defense is still terrible. I agree with BJ. Uh, you could sell me on an over here. I feel like we do the song and dance with with both Ianacho and and Lester for four seasons in a row now. He's always got great, you know, underlying but metrics, do, but I know they don't play they, it. They score when he I know. plays though. And, not... and they didn't score against United, but they had a good attacking performance. They just couldn't stop United from It's just doing a, it's one of those things where he 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 always puts up these sparkling kind of, you know, underlying numbers. People say someone sh- he should either play or they should tr- transfer him and whoever buys him will will get like a diamond in the rough kind of thing. And then he'll go to that next team and sputter out. Uh, and it but he like, hasn't gone anywhere. He's I know, just but that's just, how like, Dallas, that's just how these things I, go. I know, uh, that's how crazy, these things but... always go. Uh, and well, next year. <laughs> no, yeah, no, we'll be betting him. Trust me. I, trust me. We will be betting him for the golden boot when he's playing for West Ham. Uh, yeah, him and him and Oshman up top for Nigeria. They're going to win AFCON next January, but we'll talk about that. Uh, yeah, with... the, the AFCON special will, will be out in, in a travesty. That's not being played this summer, by the way. Yeah. All right, now let's talk about West Ham. Minus 134, hosting Steve Cooper's Nottingham Forest, 4-1. to one. The draws plus 260, Forest, the tricky trees with a tricky tie against Manchester beautiful. City over the weekend. Chris Wood. That's <laughs> beautiful. You know what's great? So like, the, the the whole idea of destiny and you're just so – you you just uh. end up doing something. And it's like Chris Wood's whole life led to that goal. He, yep. he, he had to go through Burnley to – to Newcastle to get to Nottingham Forest to score that goal against Man City in a game that they had no business being Kaylor in. Navas. It was it was something else. Yeah, Kaylor Navas is finally got I, one I'm, for me. I, I will say, Forest still stinks. 
but like their <laughs> keepers their keeper is worth like eight goals a game now so yep. how, how do you even project that team i don't know <laughs> this could be david moy's last stand uh for west ham yeah. like i said they're in the drop zone 20 points and they are an odds on favorite at home so if they don't get a win here look out uh for our friend the blue-eyed scott david moyes force in terms of goals actual goals still playing very low event 15 total in eight games since the break uh seven four eight against i think west ham actually makes it okay like they don't score enough to to make me feel comfortable laying it with them but if you wanted to like throw them in a parlay with arsenal or something go for it but that's honestly the only angle i can come up with in this game and that's a shame because these are two teams that i i uh I've had, I bet on uh, quite a bit this season, so it's uh it's likely a pass for me. BJ, what are your thoughts? No, I haven't done a both teams score no in a while, so let's do it here. Minus one twenty. Um, yeah, you mentioned it. West Ham. When we can get to the point where we can get a good number of them not to be relegated, I'm going to fire on that. But we're not there yet. Uh, they've been playing a difficult difficult schedule. Like the last three matches against Newcastle, Chelsea, and Tottenham. So obviously, when they uh, you know, draw against both Newcastle and Chelsea and then lose on the road to Tottenham. It's like, oh my gosh, West Ham is still bad, but like, okay, they played a difficult schedule. But if you look at the previous two matches before that, they did a very good defensive job against both Wolves and Everton. They uh, only held those two teams to a combined 1.4 expected goals. And I have major, major question marks about Nottingham Forest, his ability to create high quality chances. And here's a trivia question for you guys. How many goals do you think Nottingham Forest has scored on the road this season? Uh, five. Michael? Say single digits. Seven. Three. <laughs> they have scored three, and they have come against Bournemouth, Everton, and Southampton. Taiwo Awanawi is still out, so it's going to be Chris Wood up top once again. And this Nottingham Forest offense, it's just purely thriving off of counterattacks and big scoring chances. Like they are 10th in the Premier League in big scoring chances, 15th in non-penalty expected goals, but they're dead last in final third entries. They're dead last in box entries. They're dead last in expected threat. So now how are they supposed to threaten one of the best defensive teams in this league? I just don't see it. And West Ham... You know, West Ham has struggled offensively, but they're one of these teams that just cannot turn final third possession into any type of scoring chance. I mean, they are dead last in the Premier League in final third to box entry conversion rate. And I know what Nottingham Forest is allowing a ton of final third entries, but they are eighth in, in that same category defensively. And I found this interesting. West Ham has switched the play at the fourth highest rate in the Premier League, which just shows you that... Yes, they are do a good job of trying to get around, you know, low blocks and everything like that. But it also tells me that they're not very good at playing short passes and trying to play through the middle against teams. And they're not that technically sound at trying to break down a low block. So Forrest is going to sit deep. It's going to be a 5-3-2. Taylor Navas is in net against a West Ham offense that I have major question marks about their ability to break down a low block. So uh, I have both teams to score no projected at minus 163. So at minus 120, I think there's some value there. Under a half, nine to one. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, zero, zero here. In the, I, I, in the, that, in the way, exact opposite me. of that Fulham Wolves game, like this one feels pretty pretty easy to script out. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I was trying to keep, make my notes. I was like, I was like, uh, you know, I was like, you know, Nottingham Forest's offense hasn't really been that good. You know, nine expected goals from twelve away matches, and then I was like, wait, still not good. Like, and I know it's still not good, but I was like, I looked through the other results. I'm like, wait, when did they score? <laughs> and just like, and I looked at, it, I was like, oh, it's been yeah. three. 
Three goals for 25 against away from home for Nottingham Forest. Uh, quick round, quick round of applause. Actually, maybe like a 30 to 45 minute round of applause for Bournemouth. What a win uh, last week against Wolves. That was and beautiful. the under. And the under. He said Wolves unders. It was, man. Those are the spots you dream of as a cynical Premier League better. Uh, and then how do you get rewarded? You get a rewarded rewarded with a a date with Man City at home. Uh Man City is minus three fifty on the road. Bournemouth nine to one. The draw is plus four seventy five. City's traveling from Germany, where they drew one one with Leipzig in the Champions League. Hope that everybody got their Leipzig hundred to one tickets in uh before that match because it's coming through. Nothing for me here though in Bournemouth and City. It's just Man, this is maybe, the Michael Leboff special, though. Maybe give me, maybe give me like fourteen to one on Bournemouth if it gets there. Yeah, but it's it's not. Oh really yeah, short. the number's not there. Uh, yeah, exactly. So uh, I'll be I'll be uh, passing here. But Anthony, you're going right back to the well, to your boys from the South Coast. Yeah, it's gonna be a small play on Bournemouth for me on the spread. I just think that uh, we we've seen it time and time and time again. We don't know the status of Kevin DeBrana, and with him out. This city attack has been really bad. I mean, they're not getting anything from Mares. I know he scored, but today against Leipzig, but like they're the ball progression numbers are down for him. The shot numbers are down for him per 90. Uh, they're not getting a ton of shots from Grealish. Grealish being, you know, a good assister, a good creator, but not getting shots from him. Debrana is questionable at best, it looks like, for this match. They're I mean, that's another piece of the puzzle here that they're missing. And it's kind of just the Erling Holland show. And uh, Holland has regressed a bit. I mean, nobody really thought he would keep up the pace that he was putting up in the first half of the season. He's still a very capable goal scorer, of course. But his XG numbers, if you if you chart it out, they've declined a decent bit here. He's shaved about 20-ish percent per 90 off of what he was at, you know, the peak in the fall. And I think, uh, you know, you're starting to see the manifestation of that. Yes, they created over two expected goals against Forrest. Should have won the match, no doubt about it. Um, but I actually think this is a similar situation. Going on the road uh, against a Bournemouth team that has shown some signs of counterattacking life. And I think, uh, you know, with City potentially hung over here, you're going to get a good effort from the Cherries at home. This is like game of the year type stuff for them. Uh, so, yeah, plus, plus 1.75. I'm going to wait a little bit, see if I can't get two with a little bit less juice. But... Yeah, plus one and a half, one point seven five, good enough for me on the cherries at home. Uh, what's the cherries to score here? Let me see. Both teams score minus one ten. It's intriguing as well. Uh, I do see this as like a city two one type win. Okay. If yeah, I'll, say, I'll a... say this, if Bournemouth gets to plus two at any type of decent number, I will be on that in a heartbeat. Yeah, it's like minus one fifty right now. So yeah, that gets down to minus one thirty. I'll do it. We'll ride. We will, uh, and we will ride into the twelve thirty kickoff on Saturday, which is the uh, Cristan Bowl matchup between Crystal Palace and Liverpool. This is at Palace at Selhurst Park. Palace is plus three seventy five at home. The Liverpool is minus one thirty eight. Draws plus two eighty. <laughs> Liverpool, Anthony, um, coming off of a hilarious yet predictable loss to Real Madrid, five mm-hmm. two for all of us. Well, that's, I mean, this is what your third Champions League ever watching. So you just, don't, you don't, you don't know how these things go yet. Like, we have I ever learn. want to bet against Real Madrid in the You'll Champions learn. League? 
I have to look at that. And and the knockouts. And you know, it was beautiful seeing Don Carlo, you know, talk about how he's an Evertonian. So these matches mean a lot to him after the game too. Beautiful stuff. Uh, Great week for the pod, except for my little yeah. pick. I think we hit every bat except for that one. Yeah, the Islanders are rolling. This is this is <laughs> high times for Dewey Crow. Yeah, Hawks got, just, got justified people by Northwestern, but that's okay. <laughs> um, I don't think you can lay minus one thirty eight with Liverpool on the road in the spot. And I know Palace is a mess defensively, but you, so are Liverpool. Um, so this is a Palace or nothing spot for me. Maybe the Liverpool money will show up uh, as we get closer uh, to kickoff and, and you can get Palace at an even better price. But man, they can't, they cannot stop anybody going the other way. One mistake for Liverpool and it ends up in the back of their net. It's, it's kind of nice. BJ, you're kind of heading in that direction. Yeah. You know, I'm going to give our Wonder Goal listeners a little peek behind the curtain. You know what I did for my notes mm-hmm. for this one? I literally just took the copy and paste from the Real Madrid match and the Newcastle match for Liverpool's defense and offense because nothing's changed at all. Like it was, what happened against Real Madrid is what's been happening to Liverpool all season long. They are not the Liverpool defense they were last year. They even for the first part of the season, Allison was running ridiculously hot and suddenly he's not. So now balls just keep going in the back of the net over and over and over again. When you consistently allow two expected goals to Wolves, to Newcastle, to a host of whole other teams throughout the Premier League, to Brighton. What happens when you play Real Madrid? Those type of things happen, not necessarily, you know, put five goals in the back of the net, but those type of teams are going to be able to create chances. And it also shows that Liverpool is just really, really bad in transition defense. And I think there's something that happened in the Everton match, Michael, that I think is very, very interesting for this type of match is there were portions of the second half where... Everton was sitting a little deeper and they were trying to compact it in against Liverpool. And what Liverpool was doing is they were taking their center backs as main ball progressors. And they were trying to break the first line of defense and basically get balls in between the lines, obviously create that space for Salah and Nunez, which as we've seen from Liverpool this season is that when you don't have good transition defenders and when you have Trent Alexander, Arnold and Robertson as your two main cover guys, if your center backs try to be the ball progressors, that leaves a ton of space in behind for attackers to go at you. So listen, I tried to make, I'm trying really hard to make a case here for Crystal Palace's offense. I can't really do that. Other than that, they've been okay in transition offense. Like, they are 10th and final third to box entry conversion rate with that does tell me that, you know, once you get the ball in the final third, you are able to get the penalty area. A lot of that probably comes from transition for crystal palace. And the flip side of it is though, is that Liverpool's offense is still really, really good at creating chances. Like they have created 15.7 expected goals in their last eight matches, but have only scored nine. And obviously Darwin Nunez has had his struggles in front of net, but he had a great goal against Real Madrid. And if Liverpool is going to consistently keep putting up, two, two and a half expected goals, they're going to break through and they're going to score three, four against some team. And what better team to do it than against Crystal Palace? So I have way over three goals projected for this. Actually, I have 3.5 goals projected. So over two and a half at minus 125, I think is a very, very low number given how bad the Liverpool defense is, how bad the Crystal Palace defense is, and then how good Liverpool's offense has been at creating chances. Smells like an alternate total here uh all right that wraps up the premier league i was wrong that game's actually at 245 eastern on saturday the the city bournemouth game is is 12 30 so um we get that 12 that 245 game back maybe jurgen klopp 
complained about not having enough time because they're playing the Champions League or something. Uh, let's talk about the Bundesliga. Let's start with you, BJ, uh, with your favorite bet in Germany. Well, how about we go to the headliner? It's, yes. for, the, it's for first place in the title. Bayern Munich against Union Berlin. Uh, what a hilarious match to close out the, <laughs> the Bundesliga slate. Uh, this is surprisingly to say it's a bad spot for Union Berlin. This is their fourth match in 12 days due to the Europa League match with Ajax. They have to travel to Amsterdam and now they're coming back to Bayern who has a full week's rest. I mean, we, we've been over this song and dance over and over and over again with Union Berlin, it feels like on this podcast, but they are the number one defense in Germany by non-penalty expected goals. And I like 0.95 in the highest scoring league in Europe's top five leagues. And the reason they are so good is because they play a five-man back line. They pack in the middle. They don't allow you to play through the middle of the pitch, which is what Bayern wants, mainly wants to do. And they're the number one team in Germany in final third to penalty box conversion rate at 22%, which is the best mark, third best mark across Europe. They've recently just held Leipzig to 0.6 expected goals. They held Ajax in the first leg to 0.7 expected goals. So... I don't think there's a world. I mean, obviously, everybody says, oh, Byron's going to pound them for nothing, five nothing. There is a world where Byron struggles to create chances against this defense. Uh, and Byron's defense is obviously very vulnerable in transition. And that's the main way Union Berlin wants to get at you. And we know the story about them, them at this point, but they're second to last in, in XG per, uh, per 90. They've created the fewest big scoring chances. But I found this quite hilarious. They've completed 75 crosses into the penalty area. The next closest is Schalke at 52. <laughs> so they are just get the ball out wide and swinging cross after cross after cross. Bayern is the second best defense in the Bundesliga. Only 1.03 non-penalty expected goals per 90, which for them is not that great. Uh, it's up from last season, but they are the number one team in the Bundesliga at defending crosses in their penalty area. And they're the number one team in the Bundesliga in aerial duel one per- percentage. And the last time these two teams met, it was a 1-1 draw. Byron held 74% possession. They took 21 shots, but not one of those 21 shots had an XG rating over 0.2. So I think we're going to see a very similar story here. I like both teams to score. No, one of my favorite bets in one of my f- favorite matches of the weekend at minus 110. I think that's kind of quite low for the two best defenses in Germany. Uh, I have a bet in that match too, but I'll save it for later in the show. Anthony, um, what about you? We're going back to Cologne. Once again, I think it's the third time in four weeks that I bet them uh, avoided a horrendous spot at Stuttgart last week where they pretty much got pasted. But now they come home, and I do find it interesting that they actually took money despite getting pasted by Stuttgart last weekend. This is also a bet against Wolfsburg. This uh, this line has come down a little bit. Cone uh, is now on the draw no bet line, minus 140. Uh, but I'm... Okay with the money line at plus one thirty five as well. Uh, I actually make Cone right around even money in this game, so I was pretty floored by the original opener. I think uh, they're a better team than Wolfsburg, and at home, once I apply that, I get down to about even money. Uh, Wolfsburg's attack bolstered on some really good finishing of late, but they have not been a particularly good team uh, under Kovac either. So yeah, give me Cologne at home. Uh, once again, I back the boys uh, and uh, at home, and and you know I'd be remiss. If I didn't yeah. also take a victory lap real quick. Of course, please do. Borussia Mönchengladbach, man. I mean, I'm out of words. It was just beautiful. I was fighting back tears when Marcus Taram scored the goal to put them up 3-1, to cash the 6-1, to beat Bayern again. I know there was a red card in the ninth minute, 
But everything we've talked about where Bayern doesn't create high quality chances like they normally do, they're so vulnerable in transition defensively. Daily Blind is going to start a Champions League match against PSG in that back line against Messi, Mbappe, and Neymar. Oh my goodness. Um, but yes, it's going to be a lot of fun. But Saturday was so much fun. Uh, I know a lot of people on Twitter who probably don't know or didn't know who Mauricio Much and Gladbach was until probably they listened to this podcast are now fans of the Foles. And um, it was just so beautiful. So thank you all for who joined in on the fun. And maybe next time we'll get BJ in too. I got in line. It was, it was, it was a fun time. It was almost a party. Bournemouth too. Oh. Yeah. It was so close to being a party. Only Sam uh, Doria just freaking made a penalty. Would have been a bigger party. We'll yeah. talk about Sam Doria's league now. Ah, uh, Syria, ah, uh, BJ. What do you got? I like Udinese, minus one, plus 105 against Spezia. This Udinese team was really hot to begin the season, and they've just completely cooled off, and they're going through a very difficult stretch. They've won one match since October 3rd, and it came against Sampdoria, funny enough, on the road. If you look at who they faced at home during this bad stretch, they've been very, very unlucky. The last six matches at home, they have failed to win. They faced Torino, Lecce, Empoli, Bologna, Verona, and Sassuolo, essentially all mid-table to relegation fodder type teams. They have a minus two actual goal differential, but their expected goal differential in those four matches is plus 4.6. So they are due for a ton of positive regression. Spezia is an interesting team because they will press you high. Like they're 11th in pass per defensive action, fourth in ball recoveries, and sixth in high turnovers. But if you can play through that pressure, they're really, really bad defensively. Spezia is allowing 1.6 non-penalty expected goals per 90. That's 18th in Serie A. They're also allowing the most shots per 90. And most importantly, they're dead last in final third to penalty box entry conversion rate, which is a category Udinese is third at offensively in Serie A. Udinese is also a team that can really possess the ball and tilt the field on you if you are one of these smaller sides like Spezia. They're sixth in field, field tilt. And against teams in the bottom half of the table, they're holding 55% possession on average. Also a top six team in progressive passes and dribbles per 90 and expected threats. So I don't really have any worries about them being able to move the ball at the pitch. Once they're able to play through this Betsy of pressure, I think they'll be able to threaten their penalty area over and over and over again. And they're due for a lot of positive regression. So I have an essay spread projected at minus 1.24. So minus one at plus 105 is good enough for me. Uh, La Liga. Or no, Anthony, you have you have a Serie A for us, don't you? Yeah, Milan plays Atalanta. Milan's had three straight uh, 1-0 wins uh, in both the Champions League and Serie A combined. They now host Atalanta. They're a plus-115 favorite. Uh, once I you know, power rate these teams and then add in the home field, I make Atalanta the better team, and I have this pretty much at a coin flip uh, once applying home field. Atalanta isn't the Atalanta of old. This is not your older brother's Atalanta. This is not the, you know, the team we fell in love with in the late 2010s. Uh, they have gone over quite a squad change, and they are now really not a pressing team or a possession team. They're right in the middle of the pack in possession, right in the middle of the pack in uh, pass completion percentage allowed, press per defensive action. Uh, but they still contain and continue to have excellent numbers in each penalty area. They had a weird loss at Lecce, pretty unlucky. Played down a man and Tosuolo had a loss there too. I think this is a good spot for them to get right here uh, on the road uh, in what I think is a pretty coin flippy game. So I took Atalanta plus a half. You do have to lay a little bit of juice, minus 135, 140, uh, but I'm okay with it because I do like the spot for Atalanta. So uh, give me La Dea once again, the boys from Bergamo. All right, now we can go La Liga, BJ. 
Yeah, let's go Osasuna plus half a goal on the road against Sevilla. So out of the World Cup break, Sevilla's had three good showings. They dismantled Elche, Cadiz, and Mallorca at home. Every other match has been the usual below-average Sevilla. They beat PSV in the first leg of the Europa League. They scored three goals off a .9 expected. They went to the Viacano over the weekend, got completely dominated in the second half with a 1-1 draw, got outshot 11-2 in the final 45 minutes. Now they're coming home after playing the second leg of the Europa League knockout playoffs. This will be their fifth match in 15 days. And guess what? They're not going to be be prioritizing La Liga anymore. Like there, There's no way they're going to catch the top four, even a, even a European spot. They're pretty comfortably now out of the relegation fight. So... It's Europa League or nothing now for Sevilla, which they, you know, past history has shown that they are very good in that type of competition. But Sevilla is an offense that really struggles, turning final third possession and any type of high quality scoring chance. They're top five in expected threat in final third entries, but 17th and final third box entry conversion rate, which means they're 13th in big scoring chances and only averaging 1.08 non penalty expected goals per 90. Osun is a top six defense in La Liga. By expected goals, they don't allow a ton of shots. They defend crosses at a top five level, which is really big against Sevilla. And Osuna has beaten Sevilla twice this year. They beat them on the opening weekend of La Liga, and they just beat them in the Copa del Rey quarterfinals. So I like them to give Sevilla problems once again, plus half a goal at minus 110. All right, legal. Before we get to our underdogs, uh, Anthony, your boys. Hell yeah, Marseille hosts PSG. It's really the game hey, of the year. Can I say something for I hope in Liga wins seven nothing and lights up your Marseille to win this league ticket. But go ahead. Have you checked the odds on that Marseille to win this league ticket? I haven't, but I hope it goes up in flames. We are down to eight to one. We were <laughs> sitting at uh, what twenty eight to one a couple weeks ago. PSG stole a win against Lille, stole it in stoppage time. But the, the gap is just five points. So if the result goes our way on Sunday. Uh, Marseille is within striking distance. And let me say, they quietly made two additions at the at the transfer window that I really liked. And Onahi and Malinovsky. Malinovsky's been excellent. Onahi uh, already has a goal, but he's really improved their midfield. Malinovsky kind of like a super subby, not always starting, but always coming in kind of role. And the underlying numbers continue to be solid for Marseille. Uh, and I, I really have doubts about PSG. The thing about Marseille, they do a pretty good job of pressing in, in France. They allow the second lowest pass completion rate. Uh, PSG, on the other hand, 19th pass completion rate allowed. So you can play right through this PSG team. We've seen plenty of teams do it. Uh, they're not very good at a possession team. So PSG, used to having a lot of the possession, used to having kind of a stroll in the park because they have such a huge talent gap. I don't think there's a huge talent gap in the midfield and defense for these two teams. Now, obviously, Marseille does not have Messi, Neymar, Mbappe, but... We just saw this match played out in the cup at Marseille and they really took a two PSG uh, in the midfield and, and defensive areas. And I think they can do it again. So I have this uh, projected right around the number, but it's a great, great look for Marseille given PSG Galtier's on his last legs. There's a lot of turmoil at the club. This is when is there not a lot of turmoil? That is true. Hold on. Galtier, Galtier said after the match that he's got the complete backing of the management. I, love I, I don't believe I, that. I love that from him. He basically just told him, he, he's like, my he, job's like, secure. He like even though they bowed down in front of Messi uh, yeah. after he scored the winning goal. Like, yep. thank you for saving my job. Thank yep. you for saving my job. Basically what he probably was saying. Uh, but yeah, I mean, 
So Marseille at home is an underdog against PSG. They're playing much better. PSG is in a disastrous form. It's a decent matchup because of the pressing stuff. They can disrupt the possession. Like I'm riding with Marseille. And if we win, we are so live for this league title, BJ. Oh, man. I know that they've been very fortunate in the past, and they probably are due for regression. But uh, we only need to outrun that for a little bit longer to cash this ticket. Uh, and it's a uh, a revenge spot for, for Gautier, too. He is from... Uh, Marseille, and I think he played there. So mm-hmm. look out. Yep. BJ's PSG could come through. I, I think I got uh, Marseille here at 22 to 1. But I hope both of us go. I'm kind of rooting for BJ here. This is, I just feel what, bad for him. What is this? Imagine if we hit that ticket. I mean, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that a team got fortunate for a long period of time and overran PSG when they were flawed in the league. I mean, Lille did it two years ago. Where? Uh, Christoph Gal Galtier and Prochino was managing PSG time, and exactly. uh, they went on a deep Champions League run. So maybe we need one of those. Yeah, and, and then we're gonna get one when PSG beats Bayern in the Champions League. That's I'm so excited for this. It's gonna be great. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, all right, PJ, real quick, you're you're for your yeah. betting and legal. I'll just do 30 seconds. Claremont foot Strasbourg. Obviously, I mean, who's gonna who's who's gonna want to watch this match over Marseille and PSG? But. Uh, Two really, really bad defenses. I mean, Claremont Foot's allowing 1.61 expected goals per 90 minutes. They've been overperforming drastically defensively, especially from open play. 19 goals from open play allowed off of 26.7 expected. Both of these teams, their matches average over 2.75 expected goals per 90, and we're getting over 2.5 goals at plus 115. So this is just a simple projection edge for me. And the Strasbourg team continues to make zero sense, even though it still has the exact same players from last season. So over two and a half at plus 115 in Claremont foot and Strasbourg. All right. Uh, now for the reason everybody comes to the show. Yep. The underdog money line parlay, like I said last week, painfully close to a huge ticket. Um, we've already hit a 200 to one to one. Was close to adding a hundred to eighty, hundred and eighty to one, to the to the ledger. They just, they just freaking made a penalty. If Sampdoria, or if you just, or if I would just pick Mar- up to Mar- your guns and pick Mallorca on the island. You know why I didn't do it is because the week before I I put them as uh, my favorite pick in Spain and they just got absolutely dismantled by Sevilla. So I was like, I don't know if I can do that to the listeners again. So, but it's on the island. These I listeners, know. these listeners have been through a lot with us, BJ. Yeah. They would have understood. I know. And they would have been there with you. Uh, Somebody tweeted right. us and was like, "Need to take the underdog parlay tickets separately," which we also do recommend. Like, yeah, throw a little bit on. Like, I put five bucks on the parlay every week, and then you know, kind of just throw more on the actual underdogs that I like because of, you know, you're probably not going to win all three, but if you hit one, it's a hell of a weekend. So, like Gladbach or Bournemouth, and this one will be a hell of a weekend too. It's a going to end up being a pretty big ticket here. You two both have an underdog at the same price. Uh, BJ, you can go first. Yeah, I just spoke about it. Osasuna playing against Sevilla. This is a really bad spot for Sevilla. This is going to be their fifth match in 15 days. I still don't believe that the Sevilla team has suddenly changed just because they pasted Elche, Cadiz, and Mallorca at home. I watched a lot of the second half against Vallecano. Vallecano just time and time again was threatening their penalty area, and Sevilla was providing nothing in transition offense. So for an Osasuna team that's beat them twice, that is very, very good defensively, zuh. A really nice price at plus three forty. So Osuna plus three forty for me. I'm taking Union Berlin. They're eight to it. one. I, I love, love it too. Against Bayern Munich, just lean in on it. Yeah. If it's you like a Leipzig last week or two weeks ago, four to one against Leipzig, easy money. Yep. 
with a penalty and a bunch of other weird fluky stuff. But who cares, right? It's but just they, it's all that matters. They they're do. eight to one and they're the best defensive team by expected exactly. goals and big scoring chances good, in this league. Like yep. and they're in second and they, place. And they held Byron to one and a half expected goals in the previous meeting, right? Like that's and I wouldn't look, Michael. That's Byron's third worst offensive performance in in the Bundesliga this season. I think their worst was Saturday. And I think that this this is a an angle I I, I talk about um in in hockey or in other sports too. Like when when a team loses a game like Bayern did uh over last weekend against Gladbach, the natural reaction is oh they can't lose two in a row. So the they price gets inflated. In and this team can lose two in a row and they can do it because they they played a a team two solid teams. Uh and they're playing another one. They're playing a team that's in second place that has incredible defensive numbers and yet they're eight to one. I know the spot's not great, but I'll take Union Berlin in a huge match in the Bundesliga. Man, imagine they are able to pull this one off. Uh, It just would be hilarious to watch that league really devolve into chaos for the first time in quite a while. Um, Anthony, what are you sprinkling in here? Torino plus 340 in the Turin Derby. Uh, it's not till Tuesday, so if we do hit the first two legs, it's going to be an excruciating 48 <laughs> hours. Uh, but we're not going to do a pod Sunday, so I'm using Torino here. Uh, I mean, like, I'm just higher than the market on Torino and lower than the market on Juventus. Torino does a really excellent job pressing. Juventus doesn't press. Uh, I think from a stylistic matchup, they can disrupt Juve's possession. Juve will not be able to disrupt Torino's to the same extent. Uh, and so I like Torino in the matchup in the spot. And uh, give me uh, Urich to get the better of Allegri. I'll take him over Allegri any day of the week. Uh, so that's Osasuna, Union Berlin, Torino. 173 to 1 uh, is your final tab for, for that parlay. Feels pretty good, honestly. Uh, and we just had right. Schalke against Union Berlin last week as our round robin, which just seems funny. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, that's oh, yeah, the round robin. The round robin started so hot with the first. It was a five legger. <laughs> the first two hit at six to one and seven to one, and the next yep. three don't. Um, yep. All right, on to our favorite bets in the Premier League now. Uh, Anthony, we can kick it off with you. Yeah, this is a classic battle of process versus results. Chelsea goes to Spurs on Saturday, and I am betting the Blues to finally see the ball go into the back of the net. And and we're all going to do the Chelsea finally figured it out narratives come Sunday morning. But I like Chelsea draw no bet at plus 110. Tottenham is one, three of four, but the underlying performances are pretty up and down. You know, they were okay at Fulham. They were good against City defending their own penalty area, but this is a different kind of situation. Uh, Chelsea has now scored just one goal in its last five matches, but they produced over nine expected goals. Uh, so this is a Chelsea attack that eventually we will start to see them click. The underlying numbers, the, the field tilt, the process stuff that's under the hood is improving considerably to the point where I think they're the better team than Tottenham, given that Tottenham's continue to go in the other direction despite the winning. Uh, some injury and defensive and goalie concerns for Spurs continue to persist. I'm just not a believer in this Tottenham team. Maybe they'll prove me wrong once again, but I like Chelsea draw no bet. I'm taking Everton. They're plus 150 at home hosting... Unai Emery and Aston Villa, who've lost three in a row and have conceded nine expected goals in that span. Everton have held Arsenal and Leeds in their two home matches under Sean Dyche to under uh, one and a half expected goals total. And if you're playing a team like Aston Villa, who's leaky defensively, 
you probably aren't going to need to play a, a perfect defensive game to win. The margin for error with Everton has grown under Sean Dyche, which is really important. I think that this team is going to only trend up as the season goes on. I like the matchup. I like the fact that they'll be home. I like the fact that Villa really doesn't have much to play for while Everton has everything to play for. A lot of signs pointing to Everton here. Plus 150 on the toppies. BJ, take us home. Arsenal minus 135 on the road at the King Power Stadium against Leicester. This is pretty much the exact same price that Arsenal was against Aston Villa. And I believe that Aston Villa is a better team than Leicester at this point. Leicester coming off that horrible performance at Manchester United where they conceded 4.1 expected goals, four big scoring chances, and United had 19 of their 25 shots inside the penalty area. And it just goes to show what Leicester kind of is this season. They're a very good team at possessing the ball. They can progress the ball up the pitch with guys like Telemans and James Madison. But when they're asked to sit back in a 4-4-2 defensively and defend one of the better teams in the Premier League, they tend to struggle. And I think that's what we're going to see again here on Saturday. Arsenal is going to get Thomas Party back, which is huge for them defending in transition, which Leicester has been pretty dangerous to guys like Harvey Barnes and Madison as well. But the Leicester offense just cannot turn final third possession into any type of scoring chance. You know, they're top eight in expected threat and final third entries, but they're 17th in final third to penalty box conversion rate, which is why you see them leading the premier league with 10 goals from outside the box. So they just don't have a clinical finisher that can get on the end of those chances. So I find it hard to believe that they're going to threaten Arsenal's penalty area. And given what we've seen from how bad they've been defensively trying to defend big six, six, six sides, like they did against Arsenal last time when Arsenal scored four goals and put up 2.5 expected. I think we're going to see a very similar story like that on Saturday at the King power stadium. So I like Arsenal minus minus one thirty-five. BJ's going with his team. I'm going with my team. Anthony's going against his. That's beautiful. With all that nonsense out of the way, we will now turn it over to Anthony and BJ and our esteemed friend and colleague, Eric Winalda, former men's national team player here in the United States, as the three of them discuss the upcoming MLS season, the Apple TV deal, and much more. All right, Michael, I had to step out for a second, so I'm going to hop in the host chair here. We bring on our good friend, Eric Winalda, U.S. men's soccer legend. Let's talk a little... Champions League, they just happened and some other stuff around them. First off, Eric, how you doing? I'm doing good. Uh it's been a it's been a good week. We've had some good results. I, I see you got the Gladbach uh Gladbach jersey on, which is uh pretty terrific. Great call there. Um yeah, no, it's been a it's it's a good week. It's gonna be it's gonna it's it's a little bit crazy because this is this is the crazy season. MLS starts, uh, and now it's it's now it's a full Saturday and a full Sunday. So kind of crazy, but all good. All right, well, we just watched a very dramatic and interesting Champions League, at least one of the, the ties was. What are your thoughts on what we saw from this past week? And most more specifically, how about that Real Madrid just blitz on Liverpool on Tuesday? Yeah, it's it's um, it's really strange, man, uh, what's going on with, with this Liverpool team. Um, you know, you almost thought for a second there that, this might have been the turning point. You know, it goes 2-0, bad mistake from Courtois. And then it's just 2-1, 2-2, 2-3, 2-4, 2-5, could have been 2-6. Madness. I, I think what, what we're realizing, and unfortunately, we've talked about this previously on the on the podcast about just Klopp in general. Every seven years, it just seems to go wrong for him. Uh, and we're in that seventh year. Seven years in Mainz, seven years in Dortmund, seven years in Liverpool. Might be time 
to uh to to look the other way. But come on, man, does that midfield? It, it, there's so many things to fix. It, it's almost like I feel like Liverpool and Chelsea just need to get to the end line, get to the end of the year and recalculate because it just is, it has just been one mess after another. But amazing. All that being said, let's, let's, let's face it. Real Madrid's Real Madrid. And, and Benzema is still, <laughs> it's incredible. I saw a stat that he scored more goals against the English top six than Suarez without ever playing in the EPL, so I mean, let's 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 tip our hat to uh, Ancelotti and his gang, but but still, it's it's bad times in Chelsea and it's worse times in Liverpool. I think uh, you know one of the interesting things, and I see I see that you've tweeted about it a little bit, is that MLS has made this move now to Apple TV. Uh, I'm a T-Mobile user, so I'm very excited. I'm getting it for free. Otherwise, I don't think I'd be investing my money in the MLS. I watch it. Uh, I watch the union here and there, but I'm not, you know, following the league week to week, like, like some diehards. What do you make of one, just MLS's kind of trajectory here and expanding markets, but two, how do you think this Apple TV situation will play this season and going forward in terms of trying to grow it? And, you know, what's the future? Well, here's what nobody will say. Um, Apple is closely monitoring what's going on with the, going on with the NFL and the Amazon deal and watching the Thursday night numbers go down. Uh, this is a t- this is a petri dish for the NBA. Let's let's just be honest. That's what they're up to. Um, it's not really an expansion, really. What it is is to figure out what this is going to look like. Incidentally enough, I don't know if you're paying attention to the U.S. soccer deal with HBO Max. They haven't even released their numbers yet because they don't want to. They don't want us to know how bad they are. That will be the case in the first couple of weeks with the with the Apple deal. And the reason for that. Uh, originally was that, that it, you couldn't even go watch it in a bar. Um, they've, they've remedied that. I don't know if you saw that. They've, they've gone backwards now and they've done some, some, some deals with DirecTV to kind of fix that. So you can now figure out a way to watch MLS games in a bar. But to your point, most people who watch MLS, who have a team, would much rather just have the ability to watch their own team. If Philadelphia doesn't give a crap how Chicago does. You don't. You're not going to watch that. So those numbers are going to be going to be skewed. Now, they were getting somewhere between 147, 160,000 uh, per game uh, on, on the networks. Just get ready for the no release of numbers because uh, they're going to count numbers of people that are season ticket holders as if they were watching. That doesn't mean they were watching. So it's going to be a tricky, tricky start. Um, it's it's viewed as a way for us for to, to be expansive and to see all the games uh, but the people that, that were not watching it when it, when it was free are expected to pay for it now. And that's not really going to be a good look in, in the start of this thing. But again, uh, I commend Apple, um, and, and MLS for getting it done. Bigger problem guys. And the last point I'd make is they're way behind. It was viewed as a $250 million deal. Uh, 80, 000, I think 80 million of that was to build that centralized um, uh, production studio. They're way behind on that. So they're going to have to already dip into the owner's pockets to make sure that they can do these remotely. That's where it's going to get tricky, guys. That's a big expense. They're going to be probably somewhere in the 50 to 60 million over budget year one. So stay tuned. Uh, I'm sure they're aware of the, 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 that, that problem. The numbers will be skewed, but the good the good news is that you do have access if you want it. How do you think that affects 
them trying to bring older players over from like Europe's top five leagues. So like, for example, there's been rumors of the Messi going to inter, inter Miami along with Sergio Busquets as well. Do you think that is kind of built in, maybe not built into the Apple deal, but kind of like a little hat tip, maybe saying like, Hey, let's overpay to get some of these stars in to maybe help our cause here. I'm glad you brought it up because that's exactly what's going on. They're building their business plan around that. Okay. So they're hoping that the Colombians will want to see a Colombian player. They're hoping that the Argentines will want to get their superstars. Uh, that is exactly what they're up to. It's it's yet to be seen what kind of effect a superstar like Messi will have on this. We all saw uh, the impact that David Beckham had uh, with LA. It became a kumbaya thing for all of the owners. I mean, you got to realize in, in this single entity business of, of Major League Soccer, when Beckham came over, it's not like the LA Galaxy paid all that. It, it was it, you, you have a contract with the league and then they send you uh, to the team. So the league pays for your your salary. What that means is when there's a big time player that comes in like Beckham, uh, he's going to be paid for in in this collection, you know, it's a capital call. Let's, let's face it, that's exactly what's going on. It's the same when a player goes out. We You're under the assumption that if somebody goes and we just saw a player, um, for example, uh, we were just going through the list of um, Montreal, who who sent uh, a couple players on their way, one to Watford, I believe for 8.5 and Mihalovic was around six. So that's 14 million in, right? It didn't all go to Montreal. So it, it all goes back to the single entity before they figure that out. But you're exactly right. The whole point is to get this global. And it's a, again, it's it's a test market for the NBA. And let's face it, let's look at some of the players around the NBA. They're not all American. There's a, there's a lot of guys that they can start figuring out if this model will work in different sports. More than ever in the NBA, for sure. Uh, MLS also announced they're expanding the playoffs. They're doing this best of three, nine teams per conference. Uh, like, I know it's an American thing. Like, we need the playoffs and we want the playoffs. Uh, is that something you're, you know, you've played kind of, you've seen both sides of that whole thing. Like, where do you come down on kind of what the ideal playoff format is? for MLS, given that the season already is really long. And now you're having, you know, I think 62% of the league is going to make the playoffs. It's amazing, right? Well, they got an odd number right now. Uh, so that's why that nine number comes and they have to have a play in game. Uh, but I'm completely against it. I'm completely against the idea um, that we have to have this many teams getting in. It should be special. But again, a coupled with the Apple deal, this is about inventory. You know, it, it, the, the one deal came before the other. They, they need to make sure that they have enough uh, inventory to put on their platform. And, you know, of course, there's that reward system. If you win, uh, you know, if you come in a, in a higher place in, in the league, you're going to get that home game and you get that payout. Um, but the reality is it's just way too many games, way too much. Uh, it's, it is a concern for the, the player's health. Uh, but again, this is about the money, nothing else. Okay, I have a I have a very interesting question that came to my brain this morning that I think is I think is kind of interesting for our listeners to to think about and ponder as well. Since you are a former manager, obviously, mm-hmm. if you could pick any team in the world to manage right now, but I'm going to remove some easy ones. So no Big Six plus Newcastle and the EPL, no Bayern, no Dortmund, no Leipzig, no <laughs> Barcelona, no Atletico, no Real Madrid, no Inter, AC Milan, Napoli, Juventus. And no PSG. So I'm essentially taking away all of the big rich clubs and yeah. makes it easy for you, right? So not easy. I mean, who who wants that headache, right? That's that's right. financial fair play, and and I it's, that's out of my pay grade. But not if you're sitting. 
Which team you're saying? Which team would yeah, I want? Which team would you want to manage? You know, given obviously the ownership structure, current players, scouting networks, every you know everything involved with it, because I think it is kind of a interesting like which mid table club would you want to manage to that you think you could bring essentially? I would go so much lower, guys. So much lower. I would go to a place called Alemania Aachen. Alemania Aachen used to be uh, a, a first division team many years ago. They they hit some financial uh, troubles and they ended up in the second. They they went through more problems they built a beautiful stadium uh called called tivoli 32,000 seater uh, world class i mean it, it would be suitable for for the bundesliga tomorrow it's there's nothing that you have to invest into that um they're in the fourth division but the reason why i would pick aachen is 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 because there's unbelievable business opportunity there where you could bring american players you could bring uh players from major league soccer to play in the fourth division as as a, a test, but also a place to to uh, showcase them and sell them. We're seeing players like uh, Mihalovic go for six million to uh, Alkmaar. The reality was there's players just like that would help this team go from four to three to two in a hurry. Uh, so the, I, I would love that challenge. I love the promotion um, uh, opportunity. Uh, the, the other good news is that on the development side, if you will, in their region, if you look up on a map where Aachen is, it's about, I think, 12 kilometers from Holland and 15 kilometers from Belgium. Uh, and it's right, it's right on those borders. And if you drive an hour south, you end up in France or uh, Luxembourg. So it's in, in that sense, it's called the Ruggerbeet, which is right, you know, this is this is about an uh, an hour away from that shirt you're wearing right now. And it's it's you're going to play against Gladbach's second team, Schalke's second team, Dusseldorf's second team, Cologne's second team. Uh, and, the, and the realities of, of those games in, in itself is they're high quality games. So it's it's not like it, it feels like the fourth division. You got to go to places like Regensburg and Wuppertal, which are small little stadiums, which wouldn't even qualify for the first division. But I like the fight of that. Uh, it's a small budget. It would probably, you know, somewhere, somewhere probably around seven hundred and fifty to eight hundred thousand for the entire team, um, and then you have to figure out the rest. But the the reward uh, of making it to the third division uh, would be would be wonderful. And then once you 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 build a team that's going to get to the second division, that's where it gets really fun. So that that's where I would go. Aachen is a is a crazy. It's an unbelievable uh, history. Um, and it, it's, it's not the easy way for sure. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it certainly is, is a fight where you're going to have to get the business right. So that's where I would go. Interesting. I think I'm going to be the star of season two of, uh, or season three of the, uh, Wrexham documentary. If I have the, the option, the same story, you know, it's oh, just it's, in yeah, German. You know, but it's not in I'm going to the South of Brighton, 100%. Where would you go? You go to Brighton? No, Brighton's oh, I'd go to Brighton. That's so lame. Out of a thousand. Here's why, already, I'll tell you why. Brighton, lovely city, but... Eh. It's like saying Monaco. Let's go to Monaco, where like 15 people and you two show up. I mean, right. like, come I mean, I, listen, I'd love to live in Monaco, but Brighton, I mean, I've, I've been there before, obviously, but Tony Bloom is a former gambler. He invests heavily in analytics. His scouting department is honestly <laughs> the best in the world right now. So even though I can't, you know, have a big budget like that, I mean, they just got Matoma for 3 million and now they're going to sell them for what? 85, 90 in like two years. Okay. So well, the, the Vegas guys just bought Bournemouth. So, I mean, that's right. that another idea. Yeah. And also the um, Brentford is also owned by a former gambler as well, who that, that's they're also I, their striker is a former gambler. But their striker is for uh, a <laughs> gambler. Unfortunate that you yeah, said that, but, uh, 
let's face it, that was that was a crappy situation. I'll, oh. I'll tell you that you yeah. got me now with Brentford. They must be betting on a tie. They got more ties than anybody. Only four yeah. losses. Yep. So. No, they're in the top half. I don't think anybody saw that coming. So it's Unreal. been been crazy. You brought us Gladbach at six to one last week. Do you have another best bet? Or an so, underdog across Europe. Notice how I put my glasses on when I decided to get smart. <laughs> but I do. And, and I was looking at it this week. And now here's the thing. Um, you know, there's a lot of sure things, sure bets. I mean, to be honest, uh, I, I think that when you look at um, some, some of the fixtures, it's it's not too hard to figure out what's, what's going to go on, happen. But they're not like home runner. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think Lester's going to put up much of a fight. Uh, with, with, with Arsenal, I just I, I just don't. Um, and we all saw that the the Newcastle game was uh, with with Brighton was 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 postponed because of the, the the cup. But the one that's interesting me the most, honest to God, guys, and I'm crazy to say this, is Bournemouth and Man City. Great spot for Bournemouth. <laughs> it it's it's one of those you know Crystal Palace has got Liverpool, but man. I'm telling you, it's 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 a weird one. Now, great spot. It's it's it. Well, you got nothing to lose, and I love it when teams have nothing to lose. That's and then let me let me check the Bundesliga because the, I I wanted to wait until I, I I got through today. I mean, I was very disappointed with uh, Leipzig the way they started the game today, uh, but boy, man, did they look terrific! Great that, second half, and that and it was a great second half. And you got to think that maybe that was part of the plan. Um, but the, the Leipzig's got Frankfurt, and in, in <laughs> under those circumstances, I mean, you've got some really good games. Um, outside of uh, Bayern and Union, uh, Union Berlin, which is which is a battle for the top spot, which which sounds so crazy to say, uh, Berlin doesn't stand a chance. That that that's not even a, something to even. Bayern's just mad right now, and 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 they said the timing of this for Berlin is terrible. I think they lose that four nil. But uh, and the Freiburg game, it's a long trip from the Leverkusen boys. But Leipzig and Frankfurt, guys, Leipzig and Frankfurt, as good as Leipzig looked, right? That game took a lot out of them. It took a lot, lot out of them. I mean, I was really surprised uh, at how many subs were not made on, on the Man City side. It was very odd in, in, in a time where he starts, need, starts needing to manage bodies. But I think Frankfurt takes them, guys. All right. All right, Frankfurt. Bournemouth and Frankfurt. I think BJ's on Leipzig, but he. I am on. We're, we're an anti-Frankfurt podcast. We're very anti-Frankfurt. Well, I, you should be. There's so many reasons to be. Um, this is if if you watch the uh, 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 Muani red card. It's not a red card. Yeah, it was harsh. It's just it's harsh. really harsh. It's, yeah, it's really harsh. It was a yeah, really takes bad. them out of the Champions League. Yeah. yeah, and it's and, and that's a rough that's a rough swing. So that what that means is, oh, let's back to back to focus. And I think Frankfurt is the kind of team that can really sneak up and bite you in, in those kind of pockets. So as much as we saw Leipzig, don't get fooled by it. It might be smoke and mirrors. That was good. Uh, Forsberg came out pretty quick, uh, and Cuckoo came into the game and, and was he looked all right. Uh, the goal probably may have been called back if if you could deem that a foul. But I think Leipzig that that sucked a lot of wind out of them today. Uh, and Frankfurt's pissed off. So I'm taking Frankfurt uh, on a low-scoring victory. Okay. It's fine with me. Right. I have the under, so we'll take that. All right. All right. Sounds good. Well, Eric, thank you very much for joining us once again, and we'll uh, we'll catch you next Wednesday. All right. And yeah, yeah, I hope you don't have to put on a Frankfurt jersey. I know you're not. <laughs> I, I don't have one. So If uh... I got to purchase one, I'll purchase one. That's okay. <laughs> we'll figure it out. All right. Thanks, guys.
Uh, and that's how we will wrap up this episode of Wonder Goal for BJ Cunningham, for Anthony DeBundo, for our sponsors, Bet365. I'm Michael Lebuff saying sayonara. Good luck with all your bets this weekend, and we'll see you next week. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.